Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I have Lacey Borgo back on the show. I I haven't talked to Lacey for a while, and I wanted to catch up with all of her amazing work with the children um, and, and also talk to her about how the pandemic has affected them. So Lacey, I'm going to let you introduce yourself today. So go for it. Mm. Um, let's see. I'm Lacey Finborgo. <laughs> I often like to introduce myself with the thing that's most truest about me. I think bios can sort of reduce us. They're very reductionary. So um, maybe I can say, I am one in whom the eternal lives. And um, I get to be present to others in whom the eternal lives. Beautiful. And uh, tell us a little bit about where you work and what you do. So I am a spiritual director, which is I accompany people in their life with God. And that means I accompany adults, but I also accompany children at Haven House, which is a facility for families without homes in Olathe, Colorado. Um, And I've been doing that for like eight years and I did my doctoral work on what that might look like. And I can, I continue to teach spiritual direction and train spiritual directors and spiritual directors with children. I train them uh, through an organization called the Companioning Center. And I train people from every kind of tradition and every kind of belief. Mm. Wow, that is so beautiful. Do you find that... Okay, so you're in a small town and a lake that's even smaller, isn't it? How how big is that town? (laughs) Not very big. I think there's unflashing light. Yes, yes. So when someone gets a degree or become becomes Mm -hmm. educated in this sort of thing, which that raises a question in itself, you know, the the education you know gives your heart is is always full of love, but um, how do you find communities that want someone who does spiritual direction? I would like to think that everyone does that. (laughs) Well, it's spiritual direction is an accompaniment kind of ministry, and it has Sufi roots. It has Christian roots. And my, my particular formation comes through the Christian tradition. In particular, the Quaker tradition, I was trained. I think of uh, listening, accompanying someone in their being and becoming, and they're kind of awaking to the divine or the eternal within them, surrounding them. This is um, to sort of use the Quaker Douglas Steer, I'll borrow his words, um, that we listen another soul into disclosure and discovery. 
And this is what presence, true, pure presence is listening another soul into disclosure and discovery. And who doesn't want that? Uh, and I, I remember you saying listening another person to life. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Mm. So beautiful. Mm. Somewhat the same. Wow. Well, I want to talk about again about your work with with the children. So let's start with um, when you were a child and briefly mm. tell us a little bit about that. Mm. One of the things certainly that informed my curiosity that has led me to this path is I was raised in a conservative Christian tradition. And that gave me some very good through lines. It helped me to think. It helped me to reflect. It helped me to know that I was loved. And then perhaps the divine lover of our souls decided to go a little bit further than those boundary places. And so um, as a kid, we lived in Moab, Utah, and the LaSalle Mountains there. And this was about the early 70s. And my parents, we were going up into the LaSalle's to cut some firewood. And um, I wandered off in uh, the midst of a grove of aspen trees in the fall. And the little, the, you know, the, the flickering of the aspen leaves in the sun, that wonderful golden color really drew me in. And I remember feeling like I needed to get a better look. So I laid down on the squishy earth, you know, and um, I could smell it. It, ha- it still has that sort of wet, wonderful smell to it yeah. um, that we get in the, in the aspens in the fall here. And I just looked up and I had a visceral sense that I was not alone and that whatever was with me loved me. It was a sense of safety and connectedness. And I think it's that curiosity that has kept me learning. I mean, I have a doctorate degree, what they call a terminal degree, which feels so terrible to say, uh, because I'm always learning, always, always, always learning. And can you tell us a little bit about your work with children, how it was that that came about and maybe share a story with us, maybe Mm -hmm. of Christopher or another story that you Mm -hmm. might want to share that really, really touched you because I find these stories kind of sum up what, you know, what you do. Mm -hmm. My, my first sort of inkling into the spiritual world of children, um, besides my own reflection on my own spiritual life as a child, um, had to do when I was a public school school teacher in Rochester, New York. So before we lived in Colorado, we lived in Rochester for eight years. Christopher uh, was not allowed to eat in the lunchroom any longer. He had gotten into some trouble and I was a, a first year public school school teacher And he was relegated to eat lunch with me, his teacher, every single day for the rest of the year. What a terrible punishment for this (laughs) child. (laughs) And I was so, so young and inexperienced beyond my even realization. (laughs) And so, and very tired. And so I didn't ask him any questions during our lunch period together. I didn't um, try to have things for him to do. I didn't try to entertain him or teach him. 
I just needed both of us to inhabit the same place. But what I found is with some, with just, just being in the same place, inhabiting the same place with Christopher meant that he began to talk about his inner life. And sometimes I would start to ask him questions out of, I think maybe really just exhaustion. I just wanted him to talk so I didn't have to fill the space about goodness, beauty, and truth. And I knew those to be kind of transcendentals, you know, bringing us to the core of what it means to really live. So he he started to open up his inner world to me to talk about his experience, uh, the goodness of his grandmother, the goodness of the vice principal of the school. He began to talk about beauty in the inner city of Rochester, which I had he opened my eyes to. He began to talk about kind of, um, I think about the word truth being what is indeed real. He began to talk about the reality of his own family's pain and his pain. And again, I did, I taught him nothing. I just listened. But what I noticed is something in the disclosure connected us. And in that connection was security that began to shift and change how he was and probably how I was. Wow. So how did he, how did he change you? Oh, uh, I, I, I think he deepened me um, in every way. Um, he helped me realize how my own assumptions sort of kept me from a depth of life. Um, I, I think of, I come from West Texas originally, and, and West Texans is terrible violent language, but we use the word like kill shot. But I think assumption is the kill shot to wonder. Interesting. If we come in with assumptions about another person, about their experience, about the divine, it just waylays, it drains all the life out of wonderment. Wow. So what would you suggest to people who are working with children or even parents mm -hmm. that want to have these spiritual conversations with their children? I know that's a big question, but. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think there's kind of a, a couple of things we can do. I, I like to use an acronym B-O-W, um, BOW. And um, the first, the B um, stands for body. First is just to make sure that our bodies are in an open posture. And that means that even if our child doesn't lay down their electronic device, we lay down ours. So we free our hands and our bodies to be fully present to the other. Um, we make sure that our arms aren't crossed, that we don't look in a way that's closed off. And that we sort of move a little bit close uh, so that we can kind of make a place for this important connection. The other is openness, O for openness. So we check in with ourselves internally. How is our openness towards the other? Are we open to whatever our child may want to share with us? Where are our assumptions? <laughs> what assumptions are we making about what the child may say? And the last is W, which is wonder. 
how can you cultivate your own wonder, your own curiosity about what is happening within the child or in their life, even as they are discovering their depth of self and maybe who they are in the world. And if we can do those three things, conversation can find a home uh, between the two of us. Do you feel that the less words an adult and questions an adult brings into the conversation, the better? Generally so. That's generally so. Just asking those open-ended questions, not yes or no, um, but ones that are like, I mean, I love the phrase, what is that like for you? Not assuming that we know. So maybe uh, our child comes home from school and we're having some conversations around what was it like to have to wear a mask all day long for them? Or what was it like um, when, you know, maybe someone that they really are friends with, you know, wasn't at school because of quarantine and COVID? Or what was it like to have a friend whose parent or grandparent has died? Or perhaps what is it like for them to have lost someone during COVID? We want to be sure and say, what is that like for you? And not assume that we know. Because that opens up the experience for them. And it helps us to do that one thing we all need, which is connection at an intimate level. Is this how you work with adults also? Because it seems like it would make a lot of sense. <laughs> it, is. <laughs> it is in many ways. It is how I work with adults. We, we, all of our, all of us adults have our inner child that we bring with us. Right. We bring our inner child, our inner adolescent into every experience. And what is true for the child is almost always true for the adult. Mm-hmm. So Lacey, how do you use nature to, you know, you live in such a gorgeous place and I know um, Good Dirt Ministries that, <laughs> that comes from, I envision you got you out in the, in the dirt, which I love. <laughs> how do you use nature to help start the spiritual conversation with the child? Mm-hmm. For example, talking to flowers or, you know, something, maybe some shamanic, shamanic things. Uh, well, um, it depends on the child yeah. because we all sort of have a unique fit. So for example, this summer I met with the children at Haven house in group spiritual direction outside, and we got in a circle and we ended up making nature mandalas together as we processed where we were and what had happened in the pandemic. We began our time with a body prayer that was part of welcoming goodness and beauty and truth. And we would name those moments of goodness and beauty and truth together. We'd actually open our arms up wide as we could uh, and welcome all of the goodness and beauty and truth into us. And then as we got our hands sort of, we let them sort of trace our bodies. When they got down to our knees, we cupped them like little cups. And we talked for just a moment about some of the things that had brought us tears. So almost like we were holding our own tears, 
children have experienced an enormous amount of loss during the pandemic. And so we wanted to honor those losses in holding our tears. And so we would cup our hands holding the tears and then pitch them behind us. So a releasing of them. And sometimes we named those same tearful things over and over again, because we speak ourselves into uh, healing from that. And that, that often needs to happen many times in a row. So we, that's how we began. And then we would sit in our circle and I sort of began with go and collect three objects. So we're outside. Haven House has a beautiful outside, beautiful mature trees, little bushes, rocks, grass, sticks. And so they were to go and pick three things that represented. And then we went again over um, something good, a good story they would like to tell. So we'd sit in the circle and they'd put their three things in the shape of a triangle. They would tell their stories. And then it was go and get five things in nature that represent beauty, something that is beautiful to you. And, you know, so they're all wandering and collecting and then coming back and creating their mandalas. And we just kept on going out and out and out. And the mandala itself was a prayer an expression of being heard and seen, of connecting, of unearthing those uh, wounds that we've all incurred. So in the, with the mandala, could you just explain that briefly for those who don't know what that, what that means? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a visual representation. It's, it's a, some people see it as a piece of art, particular traditions, for particular traditions, mandalas are prayer, but it's taking these objects, sometimes color, sometimes drawn, and creating this circular pattern that grows exponentially outward. Like a spiral. Yeah, it can be a spiral. It yeah, can be. Yeah. It is, it is such a, for children, children, all the dimensions of their person are still synced. So as we age, we split the, we split our dimensions and we sort of, if we are wired as such, we sort of give rational um, uh, and, and mind ways of being kind of our highest priority and our bodies may trail behind our awareness of bodies. But for children, it hasn't split into hierarchy. It's all integrated. So if we want to teach children to pray, their bodies have to be involved because they have not um, made them into a hierarchy as of yet. Um, so mandalas are just a way to help their bodies, their sight, their smell, all the bits of them get involved in this experience. I heard you say, it may have been our last interview, but when a child throws a temper tantrum, that just shows you that they're all they're in everything's integrated it's their voice their energy their feelings their all of it their body you know that is or that child is fully present now yes. their parent who is looking very calm on the outside <laughs> might be losing it inwardly right. um, has split the self which is not good or bad it just is yeah yeah mm. You also talk about um, the importance of giving to a child mm -hmm. space and time. Mm -hmm. And 
Can you talk about that? Mm. Well, children, children process and move uh, with a more expansive consciousness than adults do. We, we have thought wrongly. Um, there's a, a wonderful book. I think her name is Alison Gopnik. I wrote The Philosophical Baby. And it's a wonderful book about the expansive consciousness of children. We thought wrongly for such a long time that children weren't, didn't have this sort of inner consciousness, which is wrong. They do. It is expanding. It is expansive. And they are taking it all in. So the way, and this is written, Alison uh, Gopnik is a neurobiologist, I believe. And for adults, our consciousness actually has narrowed so that we have already taken some things out and placed others in a hierarchy. Like this is most important right now, so I'm going to pay attention to this. And we do it without even choice any longer. It is a habitual pattern for adults. But for children, that habitual pattern has not been laid down. And so their awareness and consciousness is incredible. It is vast, broad, high, deep. It's just very large. And so what we may not see, they do. And because of the vastness, they need more space and more time to drink it in. Wow. And how do you, how do you suggest one gives that to them? Like at what time? I mean, not at what time, but yeah. So can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I, I, it just means that we take a slower pace, you know, um, I find that, um, and my, I, I have two children of my own, the, and I'm, I'm, just half a year from being, from being an empty nester. Um, but I can remember when they were little and everything just took so long. Shoes, you know, getting into the car to go somewhere. The trip down the driveway to check the mail took so long. And the reason is they've got way more to take in than we do. Yeah. And we want to let them have that is part of healthy development mm. is to take it all in. We don't need to rush the narrowing. In, in Telluride, Colorado, where I spend a lot of time, my friend runs teeny weenies and teeny weenies are for <laughs> three and four year olds. And we used to laugh because we were talking about, well, what did you do today? And they would like walk two blocks and then come back. And that's as far as they got because they had to look at every butterfly, every stone, every the snack time. I mean, that takes a long time. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Right, and, right. I mean, children don't, don't need a packed schedule because their, their consciousness is much more expansive they will get more out of um, uh, an event, 
an experience than any adult, but they just need the space and time to take it all in. Right. Um, I make this joke with my kids all the time that we have the cleanest driveway in all of Western Colorado, because when they were little, I washed all the gravel in their pockets. Um, <laughs> whether so you like, want to do or not. <laughs> that's right. Here's some more rocks that we have. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but that, that's just kind of their nature. It's yeah. how they are. Could you speak on that a bit about they don't need a packed schedule? I think mm. our world needs to needs to hear that i i think um as parents we hear the cry of i'm bored as a cry of distress um, from our children rather than a, a statement of desire so i'm bored doesn't mean um, I need you to fill, even though it can feel that way, I need you to fill this space with right. something. It instead is an invitation, I think, to curiosity. What can uh, we be more curious about? What kind of sensory mm. experience are we in much need of? And outside certainly is full body and invites us to spiritual experience, physical experience, intellectual experience, all of that is sort of the table is set for humanity when we are outside. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for adults to also mentor that curiosity. Mm -hmm. I had a, someone said to me just this morning, she said, I don't have anything to do. I went through my email box is clean. I went through Instagram. I looked at my YouTube video and I don't have anything to do. And it just struck me that is that where our world is, you know, in terms of, I mean, no judgment, but mm -hmm. what, it, what about reading a book, playing a music, learning an instrument, doing, you know, doing something. Mm -hmm. And if, if adults can mentor that, don't you think it's just so beneficial for the children? If you're using the word mentor in the way that I love it in terms of being with, when I sit with adolescents like Instagram and social media, man, it has saved their bacon during um, the global pandemic. It really has, it's, it's helped them stay connected to community. For many, not all, but for many, it has been, it has been a soul saver um, mm. for adolescents. But I think it's important for us to not, you know, totally against social media. Right. And, and, but instead sort of keep it within its boundary in terms of it only, it only meets kind of one need. It only touches one of our senses. So we can't smell on it. We can't taste it and we can't touch it. Mm. And we are human beings. And so we need that full bodily expression. So be on your Instagram, do your social media, and then make a cake outside and right. eat it with the people that you love. <laughs> and then, um, you know, dig a hole in the front yard, fill it with water and let your kids play in the mud all afternoon.
during the pandemic, my youngest daughter took up skiing in Telluride. Mm -hmm. So um, she had, we've lived here for 20 years and we've never skied. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's pitiful, (laughs) it's my public confession. But she, she learned to ski and I'm not a skier, but I'd fill up a big, huge thing of hot tea and go sit outside and watch the people and, and all of this wonderful experience. So we did social media. She did social media and then we went and did our body. So let's keep it in balance. I think in balance is what we're talking about here. I've thought about this a lot, clearly, um, because I have adolescents who adolescence is just a time where social media has got some, there's just a difficult dance happening here. I, I think the one danger is that it can, it can lure us into forgetting our humanity. And we want to remember that we are embodied creatures and we need to get all of our senses in on our life. Very well put. Let's talk a little bit about pings of the divine and the importance of prayer. Mm. And you've already touched on me and child where, where they are, but... Mm. What do you mean by that pings of divine? And if you could just talk about prayer a little bit. Hmm. I was trying to explain to a group of seventh grade boys about the resonances that happen within us. So all of us have been longed into existence uh, by the divine love. And we, we are beings of desire and longing. So we long back. And goodness, beauty, truth, wonder, awe, um, unity, all of those are pings, are resonances. They're a homing signal, if you would say, to human and divine connection. And so I was trying to explain this to these boys and I was doing a pitiful job until one of them said to me, oh, miss, miss, miss. It's like when you lose your phone and your laptop can ping your phone to find it. I was like, oh, dude, you just totally saved my bacon here. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. It's like it is a soul ping. And so I, I have the wonderful opportunity of living where I can see both the Cimarrons and the San Juans on my back deck. And no person who has ever come to visit me, no matter their age, no matter their religious or no religious affiliation, steps off the back deck, lets their eyes rest on those mountain ranges Immediately, without thinking about it, their shoulders go back and drop, their jaw drops, their pulse slows, and they go, oh, because awe pings. It resonates something so deep in every one of us that says, I have been longed into existence. I am a human being. I am part of this wonder and beauty that I see. And it's, it's better than any Instagram post, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> and 
the power of prayer? Mm. Well, I've just written a children's book um, that will come out um, in October of this year. Did I tell you I wrote a children's book? No. Oh, I have to send it to you. I'll get your what? address after the interview. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh well, would... you know what? I'll actually drop it off at your house. I'm coming, ba- coming back in a few weeks. Oh, that would be perfect. That would be wonderful. So, so what is it about? It's called All Will Be Well. And it is about a little girl who accompanies her grandmother through death. And the Christian mystic Lady Julian um, wrote long ago, so she's from the, I I believe she's like the 14th century, um, Julian of Norwich. uh, She wrote about a mystical experience that she had had where God was telling her how much and how powerful God's love is. And so she had a vision of a hazelnut in her hand. And God was saying, because I love it, it exists. And its existence can never be threatened. And so the little girl in the book is having these conversations with her grandmother about the nature of love and about how whatever is love exists. And so she's walking through and she has this playful experience with hazelnuts and trees that God is using them to remind her of being loved. And there's a, there is a process that she goes through in the grief of losing her grandmother. And it is her processing her grief through the lens of love with the help of trees and hazelnuts. Ah, beautiful. And when will that be out? It'll be out October, Wonderful. early in October. Ah, I'm yeah. so excited. And I'll send that. you, I'll send you a copy. Okay. And of course, we have to mention your book, one of my favorite spiritual conversations with children. That book was just coming out the last yes, time. Yes, last time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I've got a copy. I meant to have it right here. But do you have a copy of it? Yeah, yeah, I sure yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And we talked a little bit about that, um, the front of it, that beautiful oh, picture. Yeah. The art is gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. So we need to wrap it up, but um, I did just want to mention one of the activities that you suggested for people. And it's so simple, yet so difficult for so many to do because it's so crazy with you know time but but this is a great time to start this is to go out every day with your child and lay under the clouds for 30 minutes Mm. Mm. yeah yeah and just observe together what you see and keeping that body openness and wonder um, about what they share Uh, recently a parent shared with me um, they were really looking for a way to keep some continuity and some life during this very difficult season of COVID. So they picked one tree that they would go to visit and observe every day. So it was one that was just out, out in their front yard and everybody would go out every, at the same time every day. And for the last, for the, for 18 months, they noted the changes in the tree. And it was a time to have um, honest conversation about how things were going. And it's as if the tree, 
you know, as a, they, it was a deciduous tree. So as it lost its leaves, they had the opportunity to grieve. As they trudged out into the snow, they felt the icy cold. So it was a chance to work through some of those difficult emotions. As spring, it was time to celebrate the buds when they came out. And without, without kind of this shifting lockdown and people at home, they would have never observed um, these four seasons, um, even after 18 months, they are circling back around again, <laughs> uh, of this tree kind of marking time and marking life for them. And uh, so that's another one folks can try. Yeah. Is, you know, find one tree that you can gather under and observe conversation. Even if it's at a park or... You know, yeah. if you live in the city or, you know, there's mm-hmm. just so much out there. Well, mm-hmm. is there anything else you would like to, to mention or say before we, before we wrap it up? Any words of wisdom? Mm-hmm. The word of wisdom I would, I would want to give has to do with us being um, in a pandemic right now. Children have suffered uh, traumatic losses both at school and we all have within family and social structure. Children need a listening, attentive, welcoming adult right now. I hope that you can be that for a child. And I hope that you can find someone to listen to your own inner child um, who undoubtedly um, has struggled uh, in the last couple of years. And I wish you all the peace. Wow. Well, have a great evening. Give Bridgeway a big hug from me. I'll be, I'll be out there soon. And I can't wait to meet you in person. Yes, yes. I would, yeah. I would be so thrilled to see your book. Oh, yes. my goodness. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Well, wonderful. thank you so You're much. Welcome. And... I will see you soon. Okay, peace to you. Peace to you. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.